Welcome to Self-Compassionate Professor, a career wellness podcast for mid-career and recovering academics who want more. More meaning, balance, rest, joy, and more clarity. Our motto here is no regrets. So glad you're here. Hello, welcome to episode 48. I'm Danielle Delamar, and I will start with my typical caveat at the beginning of each episode, which is I have kids upstairs and um, you might hear them. (laughs) So I'll just say that. How's 2021 going for you all? How's January going? I know January and February are always sort of depressing months, but they're more depressing in a pandemic. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Especially if you are in the midst of starting a new semester and trying to recover from the holidays and put together your syllabi and do all the stuff that comes with the academic job, um, you're probably pretty busy right now. And if you are, I really appreciate that you're listening today. Um, I know that when I was an academic, there were so many things I wanted to do that I wouldn't let myself do because I just didn't have the space or the time. Um, I wasn't <laughs> willing to allow myself into my life, um, if that makes sense, right? I wasn't, I wasn't allowing myself to let in the things that I enjoyed. I wasn't letting in the things that... I loved to do the people I wanted to connect with, the books I wanted to read. I I just didn't sort of let myself into my life when I was an academic. I didn't think I had time for that. And so if you're listening and you're feeling, you know, the the pressure to get on with the semester and get things done, I guess I want to commend you for making space for yourself. Um, This podcast is about career wellness and career wellness is all about fitting yourself into your career, right? Bringing yourself to your career so that you can feel freer and not edged out by all of your work and not pushed aside and not burned out and all the stuff that comes with not bringing yourself to your career. So I bring all of this up today because a couple things have happened to me in the last two days. Uh, Last night, I was on my friend and colleague's webcast, uh, Dr. Natalia Bielczyk, And she is a career coach for early career PhDs um, who are transitioning from academia to industry. And we had a a conversation about the work I do in career wellness, serving mid-career academics. And it was a fun conversation. I loved it. I had a great time. And there was a point in the conversation that I sort of lost my train of thought. And I said to her, hey, I'm losing my train of thought. You're going to have to edit this out when it goes out. And, and you know, we sort of agreed to do that. Okay. So 
then we picked, then I went ahead and picked up where I had left off and the episode just came out (laughs) and it wasn't taken out as much as I would have liked, right? My, my sort of moment where I lost my train of thought, um, it, what was taken out was the piece about me saying, hey, you're going to need to edit this out because I've lost my train of thought. <laughs> so I kind of stumbled for a few seconds and it was clear there was some editing there. And um, I it, it was hardly anything. And it was a good conversation. And I know that I imparted some good information to people and some good advice to people about career wellness, but man, did I beat myself up over that. I watched it last night because it was just published yesterday. You're not going to believe what I did. So I went and I watched that little sliver where I messed up and then I rewound it and I watched it again and again and again and again. And I probably watched it six, seven, eight times. I even showed it to my daughter and I was like, take a look at this. I'm so embarrassed. I can't believe this is, um, this is up and published. And she was like, mom, she's eight. She's like, mom, it just looks like a normal conversation. I don't even think anything is that bad. So that happened last night. And so I want to bring that up because this is all going somewhere. And the second thing that happened to me was this morning when I went in to listen to this interview with Emily Benson that you're going to hear in a bit, which is fantastic, by the way, and I'll talk about that in a second. Um, But when I was listening to this interview, I noticed that I was super punchy (laughs) during the interview. Like I was doing, I was laughing a lot. I was talking over her quite a bit. And I was just in a mood and I was embarrassed about it. And I was thinking about, okay, how can I edit this so that I don't seem so ridiculous? (laughs) Um, And I I did choose to edit some of it. And some of it I just left in because, you know, I'm trying to be authentic. And then after having dealt with those two things right back to back, right? Last night I watched that webcast where I messed up. And then today I listened to this interview where I was just kind of funny and off and I was embarrassed, right? Again, embarrassment comes up. Um, Maybe it's shame. I'm thinking about what Chris Germer says. He says that Public speaking anxiety is not an anxiety condition. It's a shame condition, right? And that goes back to everything about me, right? Like I have this core belief that I've carried with me my whole life, which is I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy enough. And I think that that belief is the thing that really fueled me to go into academia because I was always trying to prove that I was good enough, right? If if I could prove it to other people that I was good enough, then of course I'd be good enough and, and, you know, prove it to myself. You know, I get a PhD, I become a professor. I mean, how could I go wrong? I am going to be good enough finally. And the fact is when you've got that core belief, it's always haunting you. And so much of my work I do with academics who are really hitting a wall in their academic careers and wanting to leave is helping them to deal with 
that belief. Um, there are a lot of other beliefs that come up too, but that is probably the most common. And I say all of this because I am at the point where I am really naming this for what it is. I am saying, you know, that's not just a belief. That is a character that sort of lies within me. <laughs> and I get I get these words character from something called positive intelligence. I'm doing a, a coaching program, a, a professional development program around positive intelligence. And what we've learned in the program, and I'm doing it with a number of my friends. Hi, Charlena. Hi, Poonie. Hi, Tiffany. We are naming our, quote, saboteurs. Um, our saboteurs uh, are, uh, who are these characters that live within us? And they want us so badly to survive and not fail that they prevent us from living the lives we want to live. And, you know, I know quite a bit about this stuff. I use tools from acceptance and commitment therapy, which are very similar. This stuff is not new to me, but it is an angle that is peeling back a layer for me that is kind of uncomfortable to touch and see. I have a character within me who I have started to call perfect Penelope. And actually, maybe I should call her perfectionist Penelope. Um, and I got the name Penelope because I used to work with somebody named Penelope who who really was perfect in the way she presented herself. She always looked fantastic. So I thought perfectionist Penelope would be a great way to describe this character that lives within me that tells me that I always need to be doing everything just right, right? Just perfectly. And if I don't do it just right and just perfectly, I shouldn't do it at all. And, you know, perfectionist Penelope, I may not have named her yet, but she was all over my academic career. And as I think about it, she is the character that slowed me down in terms of my research productivity. If I couldn't write everything just perfectly, then I couldn't write at all. I wouldn't write at all. I remember sitting and, you know, looking at every sentence and just evaluating it for just the most tiny problems and trying to make it just right. And it slowed me down so much and it undermined me so much and it sabotaged my productivity so much. Um, same thing goes for my teaching, right? I wouldn't do sort of new technological things in the classroom because I didn't want to try anything new. Because if I tried something new, well, it wouldn't be perfect. It wouldn't be just right. So I didn't do it. And I, as I look back at all of that, I think, oh my God, no wonder I got so burnt out, right? I was just so rigid and I forced myself to be exactly this way and perform in exactly that way. And I wouldn't give myself any freedom. And here I am today after having gone through that and working so much on my wellness, working so much on my career wellness, 
doing so much work on my thoughts and my beliefs, healing so much from my academic socialization and my childhood, right? Doing all this work and this stuff the last couple of days with the webcast and listening to this interview, all this stuff about my not doing everything perfectly started bubbling up again. And I started beating myself up. Um, the last two days, I have just, my uh, chest has been really tight and really sort of thumpy. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if that's like a description you can understand, but I just feel like my heart's pounding a lot. And there's a lot of activity in my chest because of all the anxiety around not doing things exactly the right way. And I want to say that today in this episode, Emily talks so much about wise ways to go about your career transition. She talks so much about unraveling your professional identity so that you can jump into something new and exciting and meaningful. She talks about listening to your body. She talks about how to switch out of a career when you've achieved success and you're at that mid-career level and you've already invested so much. And I walk away from this conversation with Emily realizing that if you are a perfectionist, if things have to go exactly the right way for you, like they always have for me, you are not going to be able to fully embrace Emily's advice. You're not going to be able to make the mid-career leap. You're not going to be able to do all the things you want to do because you're too worried about doing everything perfectly. It's been a really long road for me to let go of my perfectionist tendencies. I would not be doing this podcast if I were still that same person, if perfectionist Penelope was still as powerful as she was back then. I would not have been able to do this podcast. I would not be able to sit here and talk to you about my vulnerabilities in this way if I weren't willing to shrug off and weaken perfectionist Penelope's power. So that's what I'm doing right now. I'm saying, look, I feel like I've messed up in a the last couple days and it's caused a lot of anxiety. It goes back to some really core beliefs that I have. And I have had to do some really intense work over the last couple days to navigate this pain with wellness, with stability, with clarity, with groundedness. And what I'm doing right now, as I talk to you about this, is releasing it, right? Brene Brown talks about shame can only sort of live if you don't talk about it. And I would never talk about anything when I screwed up. I would keep it inside. I would feel a lot of shame about it. And when I did that, my, my shame would just grow. And so today, in the name of wellness, in the name of healing, in the name of reclaiming a new approach to career, 
I tell you about these vulnerabilities. I tell you about my own perfectionist tendencies. And I tell you this to heal myself, but also if you if you resonate with this to heal you too. Okay. <laughs> I will get off my soapbox and introduce you to Dr. Emily Benson. Thank you for joining our conversation today. I'm talking to Dr. Emily Benson, a tenured professor until May. She is stepping full-time into what was a side hustle for a long time and is a career coach at Emily Benson, PhD, LLC. Emily, how's it going? I'm great, Danielle. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, I am so happy you're here. Uh, I, it is totally my pleasure. And the reason I am so happy is that you are in a spot that is really, um, th this transition spot um, is a nice time to talk to you, right? Because I imagine there's like a lot of fear because you're, you're still a professor, but you've, you've given notice and you're letting it go and you're moving into this other thing. And I'm sure there are just tons of different emotions. And I think it's really important to normalize those emotions for people um, who are kind of going through what you're going through or will be at some point. So will you talk about sort of all the swirling emotions that, you're dealing with as you move from one role to another? Oh, that's such a great question. Um, and an opportunity for me to sort through a little bit. So yeah, so you know, I had been wanting to leave academia for a couple of years, at least, uh, and thinking about it and, and talking about it with people and telling people that I was you know, starting to build up my business so that I could make this plan. And um, yeah, my, you know, the academic job just wasn't as fun as it used to be. And, um, and I was really enjoying my business. So I was talking about it. And then the opportunity became real. Um, my college offered severance packages. You know, we were hit quite hard with COVID financially. So they offered us this special opportunity in the fall to apply for a severance package. I, of course, jumped on the application. Um, but I, you know, part of me in the back of my mind was like, oh, they won't accept me. <laughs> and I was probably partly hoping for that. And so when I did get the mm. notice that, um, yes, I was approved for the severance package, I basically was in a fetal position for 24 hours. Oh, oh, <laughs> I'm just, oh God, oh yes, no, yes. this is real now. Um, you know, I think starting from very early days in, in grad school, you know, where our our identity becomes very tightly tied to academia and higher education and, and scholarship and, um, you know, and starting to actually do the work of unraveling that professional identity, um, you know, has, it's very challenging. And even though I started a while ago, it's, it continues to be challenging. Uh, I do do career coaching with people who are in transition. So, you know, I've How studied perfect. it. <laughs> yes, I've studied it <laughs> academically for a long time and, and sort of know, you know, I could kind of see in my own um, 
brain and body, what was happening and compare it to what my clients are going through. But it doesn't necessarily make it a ton uh, easier. So yeah, so now I'm in a place where I'm very excited, but of course, um, fearful as well. And, you know, I have days where I'm like, thinking of all the backup plans, you know, if my business doesn't work out and doing the exact thing I tell my clients not to do, which is scroll indeed for four hours <laughs> and think about applying to jobs. <laughs> um, so yeah, so it's, it is very much as you described, kind of a, a period of transition with lots of swirling emotions. Mm, okay. So um Will you t- will you talk about like those moments when you get into that place of fear and you do start scrolling indeed like you tell your clients not to do will you will you just talk about like what what sort of emotions are running through you and what you're thinking about and like how do you stop yourself from doing it and I ask that question for people who need to stop doing it I think um, I think it's healthy to do a little bit of it. So I will let myself do it for a little bit because it, it can open your mind up to, oh, you know, there actually are millions of kinds of jobs out there. Of course, I will find something, um, you know, and find my place in this world where there's, you know, so many interesting careers and jobs and um, things that we can do to pay the bills. So it's, you know, a few minutes of it is a great reminder of that, but Mm. um, then it loses its usefulness pretty quickly when when you hit the point of like, oh, but what about the application process? (laughs) And why would they hire me? And I don't have anything like that, you know, so it can quickly go from excitement to like overwhelm of how would I even apply for that? So that's when I do stop myself. And, um, you know, one thing I'll do to stop myself is I will actually take an action, um, you know, say, say I find like an interesting organization um, on Indeed. And I've done this, I've done this several times um, where I see a job that looks kind of interesting. Don't know if I would actually want it. Um, but I'd like to talk to somebody. So then I go over to LinkedIn and I'll, Um, actually connect to someone who's in that organization or that field um, to, you know, to turn it into a, you know, like, maybe I'm drawn to this for a particular reason. I'm not going to put a resume together, like, that's a lot of work. But I'd like to kind of, you know, keep this option in my back pocket. I'd like to talk to someone about it someday, maybe. So I'm going to just connect to someone in that organization and, and maybe initiate a conversation with them down the road. So um, once you've done that, it, it's it's almost like a, a bookmark. Like, okay, I can go back to this later because I've talked to this person and when I have more questions, I'm connected and I can follow up. Um, but I also don't have to. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It allows me to turn those, um, you know, the, all the swirling emotions into a quick action step. Um, you know, that I can follow up with later or not. Um, But yeah, hours on Indeed is, is not useful, but a few minutes that kind of opens your eyes to some new options. You know, it's not a bad thing. 
Oh, okay. That's so good. And then I'm also thinking about how, like, it's a fl- it's a fun way of exploring rather than, a, okay, I got to fit myself into this box and create this resume and this cover letter. And that is so much more constricting than just, you know, in exploring and enjoying the exploration process. That's so fun. Okay. Okay. So I will stop now. And I want to ask you about um, leaving academia again. Um, You have said, um, when we talked a few weeks ago, you said to me um, that you're looking forward to actually enjoying your winter break again. Um, And (laughs) so I want to ask you about that um what has your winter break been like since you've been an academic and what is it that you look forward to so yeah winter break has often been a time of uh deep exhaustion (laughs) coming off Mm -hmm. the fall semester and straight into the holidays you know no time to um shop for presents, no time to do holiday cards, no time to, um, you know, enjoy kind of that, the, the holiday season really. And, you know, often many, many years I've, um, gotten really sick during the holiday Mm -hmm. break as well. Um, so I think, yeah, having that, you know, the getting rid of that end of the semester grading crunch, deep exhaustion. Um, I am looking forward to enjoying the holidays on a different level. I do think, you know, I did do some work over this past break, but um, the teaching online aspect that I was doing this fall, I think did allow me to uh, enjoy the holiday season a little bit more than I have in the past, sort of easing out of the semester in a way that normally we aren't. Um, because I was home all the time and getting rid of the commute and the stress of being in class and uh, absorbing all of the students end of the semester stress. A lot of that was, was Mm. gone this year. It's just being present for the holidays. That's what, that's what you look forward to. Yeah. I mean, do I, is that capturing it? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Um, you know, a lot of the, you know, our seasons as academics are very, um, you know, they're very determined by where we are in the academic calendar. So, you know, letting go of that schedule, mm-hmm. I think is going to be exciting and see what it, what it opens mm-hmm. up for different rhythms in life. Mm-hmm. What kind of a rhythm do you want? What are you, what, what feels good in your mind? That's a good question. I am curious what the fall will feel like. Um, (laughs) because it's been so, so, so many years of, you know, that's the beginning of our year, right? It's September. So I am, you know, yeah, maybe just more, more of an even keeled life, uh, a little bit steadier where it's, you know, not so much, um, you know, periods of intense, intense, heavy loads, and then stopping. And then my body, my body, at least, I don't know what's wrong with my immune system, but it tends to break down (laughs) at the start of any break, because we've, you know, I've put so much into it during the semester. So maybe, you know, more of a steady schedule, I'm kind of looking forward to where there's not so many um, periods of just exhaustion. 
Mm-hmm. God, it felt that feels so good to just hear because I have a memory of that when I quit. And I also talked to so many people who, um, you know, it's their first semester and particularly fall semester, like you say, it's their first fall semester, not sort of in the academic schedule. And so mm-hmm. often it's, it's this um, feeling of disbelief. Like, yeah. oh my God, I can't believe I'm not doing all the crap that I used to be doing and I'm <laughs> loving it and I feel so free. <laughs> I've connected to so many people who feel that. Um, and that's what I that's what I hear in your answer. So uh, yeah. yeah, we should definitely talk in fall because I'd love to hear how it goes. I'm excited. Um, I bet. I bet. Okay. So I want to also talk about um, your vision for this last semester. Before the recording, you had said, you know, because of the pandemic, you know, everything's been pushed back to February 15th. So like Mm -hmm. this next semester coming up won't start until then. And so you've got February, March, April, and May. And by May, you're Dun, dun, dun. Mm-hmm. So when you think of that, what what is your vision for the last semester? What do you want it to be like? Well, I hope that I can navigate it with grace and mm-hmm. uh, tie up a lot of loose ends uh, and say goodbye to academia in a in a healthy way. It's maybe a difficult time to do that with feeling so disconnected from my fellow professors and from the campus, but perhaps by the summer we'll be able to meet in person. We'll see um, with the vaccine schedule, but yeah, I hope that I can have sort of a healthy goodbye schedule. You know, I will say that I am very called to spend a lot of time on my coaching business. So I will be having strong boundaries around my academic work going into this. I work primarily Mm. with uh, professional women, um, but also men um, who are, you know, feeling stuck in their careers and unhappy. And, you know, right now in the world, there's really a a massive job and career crisis that's Mm. hitting women much harder than it's hitting men. Um, I don't know if you saw the December numbers, but um, we lost 140,000 net jobs and um, all of them were women's jobs and men actually Mm. gained jobs (laughs) during that period. Mm. So, you know, that just news like that is just really solidifying for me, my calling uh, and my desire Mm. to help people who don't feel in control of their career want to take the driver's seat, you know, and don't want to be um, beholden to particular employees, but, you know, have their own means of navigating where they're going next. And so, you know, that's, that's my real work right now. I will do my academic work, but I'm going to um, be focused on, on my calling here. Mm, I love it. Okay. So, your calling started, I mean, and we we may or may not want to explore this, but I just remember our previous conversation about how, you know, sort of your calling started when you were in your PhD program. And and I, I don't know, I just wonder if um, 
you could talk about that a little more, like what brought you into the PhD program to, to really study this, um, this issue of job and career for women? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I, I personally didn't know what I wanted to do at all. <laughs> Um, until later in life, um, I, I guess, you know, I, well, I started my PhD program in my late twenties. Um, but I, you know, I was unsure what I necessarily wanted to do with my PhD. I was raised in a family business, um, where my parents own a construction company and, um, my father in particular is extremely passionate about his work. And, you know, I didn't have, um, I didn't have a profession of that sort that was really calling to me the way that um, he seemed to be so passionate about his work. And I spent a lot of time sort of one, you know, in my early twenties wondering, you know, how do you figure out what you want to do? <laughs> you know, This seems like a big mystery mm. to me. Um, and, you know, I, I actually was working in recruiting for a while. So I was seeing all these people who had careers, had professions. I wondered how they figured that out. And that was the kind of question that I was asking in my PhD program. And I was, you know, when I, once I started teaching at the college level, I loved helping students sort of ask those questions themselves and at least start to figure out where they might want to um, begin their careers. Um, but, you know, as I moved on, once I got tenure and started also coaching more mid-career professionals, I realized, oh, you know, now it's a different question. It's sort of how do you switch midstream? How do you disentangle yourself from one job or identity or career and pivot it into something new and different? So that's sort of where I am now is exploring that space, um, both for myself, very much so, <laughs> very much in the midst of it, mm-hmm. as we already talked about, um, and supporting my clients as they go through the same thing. Mm. So I remember you saying something like owning your own business has been really healing to you. And this what you just said seems to speak to that. But do you have more to say around the healing piece? Oh my gosh. Yeah. So the bureaucracy of higher education is so toxic. (laughs) So, so toxic. Mm. And I understand the need for it. I do. I understand the benefits of, you know, having uh, a lot of regulations and rules and, you know, having, having systems be ostensibly meritocracies. But if you're at all a creative person, it, you know, at some point, it's going to really start to frustrate you and, and, and even depress you, I believe, Um, you know, so in earlier in my career, you know, I tried to do some creative things, I was able to go to some really cool conferences and do some, you know, interesting writing projects. Um, But then my campus, you know, started to have more and more financial problems the rules tightened up, the restrictions tightened up, it became harder and harder and harder to do anything. Um, even things that, you know, I raised the money for myself, the money would then get tied up 
in the in the bureaucracy somewhere. It was hard to get access to it again. Um, and so for me, you know, who for me, you know, having some having some instantaneous sort of tangible results of my work is really important. Having some incentives to do something new and different and creative is really important. And it was just, I was at the point where I'd had enough of my efforts sort of stymied or stonewalled or blocked by someone that um, I just really was in a, in a pretty depressed state about the future of my career. Um, and moving into an entrepreneurial space where I could do whatever I wanted, <laughs> um, you know, make a video, make a workbook, post it immediately up on my website, email it out to my clients or potential clients. That's been really healing that I could do something and get it immediately out into the world has been amazing. Okay, so will you will you talk about who you serve and I don't know do you have an example of something you did and just you know put it out on your website um, that you're most proud of oh that's a good question I think that I'm pretty proud of how I was able to respond to the needs of people during the pandemic. You know, I, I kind of stopped career coaching in, in March and April. I didn't, I certainly wasn't taking new clients. I didn't know what kind of career advice to give. But, uh, you know, when my phone started ringing again in July, June, July, I started talking to people and realizing what they needed. And I put together a, a package for my, for clients and I'm still using a version of that, but it, it involves really digging in with them and really getting to know them really well quickly <laughs> so that we can, mm -hmm. you know, start um, putting together a plan for them really quickly. So the first session I have with clients now is usually at least two hours. And I think for a lot of them, especially ones that had tried working with other career coaches who were doing, you know, just one hour sessions and it was kind of a slow process, they really appreciated the work with me where I took a lot of time up front to get to know them, to put together a plan, to really dig in, you know, what's going to work, not only with what's going on now in terms of COVID and the job market, but in also in terms of your personality and your particular strengths and your particular experiences, what's going to work for you for a plan going forward. And let's put it into action tomorrow. You know, you don't have to wait. Mm. Um, mm. So I'm really proud of the way I was able to put together a, a sort of a unique way of working with people that works really well in our current conditions. Okay. And so how did the business come about? Um, how did all of this begin? Well, I started, um, I actually, <laughs> going way back uh, when I started, um, first started my job as an assistant professor. And I, I, I knew I wanted to try coaching, um, you know, even early on. So this was 10 years ago. And I did a little program 
And I just, I advertised it in our local newspaper, actually, which is hilarious now. But um, yeah, it was like our local, it's called the Shopper News. And, you know, it's like the free thing that everyone gets in their mailbox here in my city. And um, it was called Stumbling Towards Career. And, um, and I met with, you know, it was people who are mid-career and it just never felt like they had sort of latched on to something meaningful. And they were wondering how to do that at, at that point in their lives. So that was really fun. We met um, in this like local kind of art studio once a week for, I think, three months. Uh, and I, you know, I maybe charged like $50 for people to do this. And it was it was so much fun. We had such a good time. And I used, um, you know, we did a lot of like, creative sort of almost like art projects we like drew maps of our careers and put together collages of what we were looking for and um yeah I don't know what people necessarily got out of it but we had a really good time and then (laughs) from that I met um a local um great friend of mine who starting was starting a business at the time working with uh college seniors and recent graduates and um so I worked with her for a number of years coaching that age. And then about three years ago, I realized that I actually need a break from college students. And also a lot of my friends are thinking about career change. And so am I. (laughs) So that's when I I pivoted and started working more with mid-career women and, and adults. So, so that's been, it's been a great three years doing this particular work. Something just struck me when you were talking about just that beginning when you were talking about the local paper the stumbling towards Mm -hmm. career thing that you had put out and um you had said you know it was for people who hadn't latched on to something meaningful Mm -hmm. and I know from just our interactions on LinkedIn that you are a highly sensitive person like me, mm-hmm. that HSP designation. And I wonder how much of that do you think informs the work you do? Meaning is something very, 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 very important to HSPs generally. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's a great question. I mean, I think yeah, HSP is such a blessing and a curse, right? <laughs> it's like, yes. Yeah. I wish I could just do something that wasn't meaningful. That'd be that'd be great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so much easier. Um, yeah, I think it it informs everything, you know, for better mm-hmm. or for worse. Um, it definitely, I think it really helps me be a better coach in that. I can really tap into, which is why I think right now, at least my, you know, getting to know my clients on a personal level is so important for me and and so effective because I can really tap into what they, what they need. And I can kind of guess ahead of time, what's going to be their stumbling blocks and help them work through them and help them, you know, kind of dig into themselves and, and figure out, you know, what are the, what are the voices in their heads and their bodies that they're ignoring because I did the same thing for so long too, you know, which is really demoralizing as a, as an HSP too, you know, when you have these voices telling you there's something else for you and you're just ignoring it for so long. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know that doesn't really answer your question, but. 
No, I mean, I, I don't even know if it was a question as no. much as a, like, need to explore the issue. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, because one of the things you said was, uh, you know, just being able to tap into what people need. And, and we as HSPs are so good at tapping into what we need generally, right? Like we can, we can feel it and we can feel it in a very sort of severe and uncomfortable ways at times. Um, and so being able to teach people how mm -hmm. to do that, um, seems to really be a strength of HSPs, HSPs who do coaching work. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know. What do you think? I mean, this is just something I'm coming up with as you talk. No, I think you're right. I was actually, I just, I just emailed a bunch of my, or uh, my whole list of clients. Cause I was like, I'm hearing something from all of you that's overlapping. And I just want you all to notice this is like, I'm hearing them say things like, uh, my stomach is in knots. Like, I'm getting migraines every day. Like I feel sick when I go to work or, you know, I'm so exhausted on the way home. Like let's all listen to our bodies. I'm actually doing a, a group um, training this coming weekend. And I think I will spend some time on, on this, that particular issue of like, let's, let's dive in and listen to actually what our bodies are telling us because there's some strong ass messages coming through from you guys. <laughs> we got to listen Amen. to this. <laughs> yeah. And I remember, okay. So this is like a big piece of my coaching work, right? It's about mm -hmm. like really turning into your body and listening to the wisdom that's coming from that. And so, um, I know that in, and it's funny because in my academic training, I learned to detach from my body. And I know you said that when we last talked that you like try to basically ignore your body because that's not what academics do. We stay in our heads. And if you go into your yeah. body, then you're doing something wrong. Yeah. And, and so I'm wondering also about like, um, what is it that got you to a place where you could start paying attention to your body a little bit more. Honestly, Danielle, I can't do it when I'm working in academia. And I realized uh, that more mm. than ever over break um, this past winter break there, it is not possible for me to listen to my body while I'm working in an academic institution. Mm. I don't know. Mm. I wish I, you know, I wish I could, I really do. But honestly, you know, as soon as, um, you know, as soon as the semester ended, I, uh, you know, started exercising again, I stopped drinking, mm -hmm. I stopped numbing out on TV. And I am so scared to go back in February for those. I know it's only three months, but I'm scared of what numbing things I'm going to need to get through it. Um, because I realize, you know, how much healthier I am outside of that system. Wow. Yeah. That kind of hit me like a ton of bricks um, because I can absolutely relate to that. Yeah. It's been hard to like, you know, for so many years, I was like, what's wrong with me? I need to feel like I just need to exercise more. I just need to do yoga. I just need to meditate. And it's like, I realized like, it is not me. It's not me. It's not something broken in me. <laughs> it's it's this mm. structure, whatever. I don't know exactly how to pinpoint what it is, but for me personally, I am not capable of taking good care of myself while operating in that structure. Mm. 
I have a friend who uh, is is a professor, and she said, um, she goes, I am really good at taking care of myself on break. Yeah. <laughs> she's like, I can't believe how good I am at it. Um, so it sounds just like you, you know, she's like, I go to yoga every day. I, I prepare healthy meals. And then as soon as the semester starts, it's just like put on the brakes and don't pay attention to yourself at all. Abandon yourself for an entire semester. And then you can come back to yourself. Um, and God, what a, what an exhausting way to live. Um, it's so true. I know. I remember one of my friends in grad school every year during like finals and, you know, comprehensive exams and stuff. She'd be like, I'm going down and I'm taking my body with me. Like, kind of as a joke. But like, <laughs> <laughs> like loading up on chocolate and, you know. Oh, yeah. But it's so real. It is. It's okay. totally real. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. And so, okay. So it makes me realize though, um, that the coaching work I've learned since leaving academia, um, would have helped me to bring my body in a little bit more and it Mm -hmm. would have helped me to approach my job a little bit better. Um, with a little bit more help and I probably could have gotten stable enough to get really clear about what sort of my next career move is. And, um, those are the things I help my clients with. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that I want to go back and do it over like (laughs) hell to the no. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. It it was a it was a hard time. And I got to ask you too. Do you, are you going to miss teaching? Cuz I don't miss it at all. Not even a tiny bit. I think I will miss the like 15 minutes before class and the 15 minutes after where you get to banter <laughs> with the students. <laughs> I, they're fun. They're really fun. Yeah. I won't miss their dead eyes staring at me. <laughs> try to engage them. No, and I will not. Uh, yeah, I never will grade anything ever again in my life. So. Oh my God. Yeah. Amen to that. Amen. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I just wanted to talk about that for a second because I feel it. Yeah. I feel it. And it's real. And it's funny because I was a pedagogical expert, right? Like that was my uh-huh. research. And I'm just like, I'm out, I'm out, I'm good. Um, uh, Okay, so anything you want to tell us before we go? I mean, I guess I want to give you an opportunity to talk about the work you do in terms of career coaching. I know you've already talked a bit about that. But but I guess just tell us a little bit more about what you do and how people can reach you. Thank you for that opportunity. I... So you can, um, my website is emilybensonphd.com and you can book book a free call with me there at any point to chat and see if, see if we're a good match. I think, you know, I'll always be a scholar, even though I'm leaving academia. I am, you know, I will continue to 
to read research and to study. And, you know, I think one of the things that, um, that's really important to me in my coaching that I, I spent, um, spent a lot of time studying while I was, um, getting my, dis writing my dissertation and I've continued to study is, uh, identity shift and and how language impacts our identity and so that's one of the really it's both theoretical and practical aspects of my coaching as we really hone in on language you know how how you're talking about yourself impacts how you're thinking about yourself and if you start shifting how you talk about yourself and how you write about yourself you'll start to shift how you think about yourself and how other people see you as well so Focusing in on, you know, what you're saying, the words you're using, how you're articulating who you are and what you want is, is really critical. And it is, it's not the only piece of my work, but it's, it's a big piece of it. And it's very practical, and it, and it works really well. So that is something I spend a lot of time uh, with my clients on is finding the right words to describe the transition period. And then as they gain more clarity to describe, you know, what this next step is going to be. And um, yeah, I, you know, I work with all kinds of um, mid-career professionals who have achieved some success, like I did in their in a career that they're now unhappy with, and they're ready to move into something else for whatever reason. And it's, you know, it's been great. And I'm, I'm so glad that I do that work now, because it's prepared me for my own change. Oh my God. That's so good. Okay. Okay. And how, and what did you, you told us how we can get a hold of you. You told us your website. Yes. Uh, can we connect with you on LinkedIn? Can we other, other ways to get a hold of you? Yeah, absolutely. Find me on LinkedIn, Emily Benson, PhD. Um, that's probably a great way. You can always friend me on Facebook too. Find me there. I'm pretty, I'm very active on Facebook and um, just shoot me a message when you friend me. I love chatting with people over there too. I think social media is so great right now. Um, it's, you know, everyone's kind of lonely and we're having such, you know, that's how I met you, Danielle, in, in several different mm. link. We were in LinkedIn and in a, a Facebook group together. So, and that's, <laughs> you know, that's kind of how it's working right now. Um, you know, we're, we get to make friends all over the country, all over the world who have similar interests and want to have these fabulous, authentic conversations that you're so wonderful to provide such a great forum for us to have these. And um, it's just incredible, I think, the way that we're connecting with each other right now online. And it's incredible in terms of like meaningful conversations, right? Like that's what I love. Like I've never seen your face. Like, uh, um, you know, we've never been together physically, but we can have this real conversation um, and connect in so many ways um, based on similar experiences. Oh, you're so right. That's really good. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's real. It's authentic. And you know, we're getting right to the heart of the matter and not wasting time on, on tons and tons of small talk, even though I like small talk too. I'm not one of those that hates it, but, but we're getting right into the meaty stuff, which I love. Me too. Again, I think it's an HSP thing. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Totally. Yeah. So, you know, for anyone who is, you know, in the job search mode, you know, friend me, link to me on LinkedIn, um, link to other people, <laughs> talk to other people. You know, it's so much, such a better use of your time than, than scrolling indeed. 
Um, and as soon as Indeed starts to freak you out or depress you, get the hell off there. <laughs> Amen. Um, anything else you want to say to us um, before we end the conversation? I just want to really thank you, Danielle, for, um, again, providing you know, such a great podcast to the world and, and, and a forum for such important conversations. I really appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Self-Compassionate Professor. Find me on LinkedIn at Danielle Delamar, on Twitter and Instagram at Danielle SC Prof, or schedule a free coaching consult at selfcompassionateprofessor.com. Be well.